It's always good to be in the house of God. And as we were worshipping, I was thinking, you know, it's a privilege, it's a joy to be able to come into the house of God and just enter into his presence, not individually, but collectively. And there's something this morning that as we were singing and just worshipping and I was just enjoying God, God put into my spirit one word, shift. And I thought, okay, Lord, what, what is that? And I don't know specifically, but all I can sense in my spirit is that God today, this morning, wants to shift each one of us. You might be in a place where you feel like you're stuck and can't move. God will shift you. If you feel like, oh, I've been in church for 40 years, and Chris, I'm not going at you here, but like, there's more, man, there's more. And today proves that because you're now starting on a new ministry yet again, and there's so much more, and there's power, and God's going to shift something in you, Chris. I just know it. It's like something's going to kick into your spirit, which is not flat, which is not stuck, but which is like out. It's like pushing. It's like moving out, and you're taking over. You're taking hold of what God has put into your life. It's time to step in, shift where you are now into what is next in God. That is what is coming. I'm Pastor Don and with France we do uh, minister with the children and families. I do have an extra special heart for men, not just men, but like little boys, youth, young adults and men because, men, you are the ones that lead your family. You're the ones that in the church are going to make a difference. If men are in that rightful role of leading their family and taking, a, taking that role in the house, the church is strong. Your family's strong. Men, we have a right. And this weekend at the uh, Chosen Valley Camp, men, it's going to be a time where you will know that comradeship of men we're going to, it's such a privilege to have David Dishram speaking to us. He is in demand. He speaks in conferences. I've heard him speak at two promise keepers, and he has a heart for men, and he puts in that steel. He puts in that boldness to be a man of God. So that is something really to be ready and expectant. So guys, thank you so much. There's 25 guys already signed up. There's room for more. If you've got a friend or somebody you know you're not there, please invite them. Bring them down. There are sheets. I've emailed everybody who's signed up a detail. I have more hard copy sheets. It's going to be good, guys. Don't miss out on what God is doing. When I looked at the songs, there were two songs, Victor's Crown and King of My Heart. Guess what my sermon is, and only God and I knew this, it's called To Be Kings. We're all called to be kings. And in this word, although it's a way it's for men, it's for women as well, because we're all called to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. Father, I pray this morning that as we listen to your word, as we just enjoy this time together, that, Lord, we would have hearts that are open and expectant, that, Lord, you'd bring that shift in our spirit, that, Father, we'd not settle for where we are, nor not be drowning in what our overwhelming problems, not be thinking we've been there, done that, but, Lord, be open to receive what you're speaking today, that we are all kings of the Most High God. And, Jesus, you are King of Kings. 
Just to keep things in perspective, I like to tell a story. You might have heard the story, and it's about men and women. You see, there were 11 people hanging on a rope underneath a helicopter. They were being lifted to safety. The rope started to fray. Oh, they said, someone has to let go, or we'll all plunge to our deaths. But they couldn't agree who was that one person to let go. So finally, the woman said, okay, I will let go. I know men are the superior sex. They are the leaders of the house. They are the stronger people. I think I should sacrifice. All the men started clapping. (laughs) Never underestimate a woman. The woman was saved. It's really about the balance. Yes, woman, you are to respect your husbands. You submit yourselves as you do to the lost. Men, you're to love your wives as Christ gave himself up. Men, if you lead in a godly way in your house, your woman will love you. You have that authority, you have that anointing, you have that right to lead your family in the ways of God. Last week, Dan spoke about being wholehearted for God. That's a challenge. Can we put up the first scripture? Because the scripture I got almost sort of out of that was the one where David was seen as a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 13, 14. That's not the one. I want 1 Samuel 13, 14, please. We're coming to that one. I'll read it out. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. In Acts 13, 22, we'll go to that one. Because this explains a bit more of the story. Paul refers to this in Acts 13. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. See, this is a story about David becoming king. King Saul was a godly man, but he'd gone away from God and he'd started following his own personal agendas. God was looking for a man who he could place as king. Interesting, before this, the priests were the anointed one. We know that the priests were those that would uh, be anointed and go into the Holy of Holies, into the temples. This moment is where God's moved away from priests being the anointed ones to kings being chosen by God. If you go back to 1.9.16 in Samuel, uh, that next slide, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. The people were looking for an anointed king. They were God's chosen people. The Israelites were God's chosen people. Samuel, the prophet, heard God and spoke the word of God that David was to be anointed king. 
God was the one designated by the Lord to be the ruler. God sought out a man after his own heart and anointed him king of Israel, King David. See, the question is, can we relate to our own hearts being such as David's? Does God search our hearts and see a man, a woman, with a heart after God? That's a question for us, and I believe all of us in this room have amounted that. But is there more? See, God sees the heart. David made mistakes. He was a murderer. He was an adulterer. Yet the thing was, he always repented. He always loved God so much that he would repent. He would say sorry. And yet he, was, he sinned again. But that's the fleshiness. That's the human nature. But David, even though he made mistakes, would always get right with God. And he ruled for 40 years. If he hadn't have made those mistakes, if he had have been uh, right before God from the very start, perhaps he would have ruled for a lot longer. I'm not saying that just because you repent, things are going to be good. David did pay a price. But yet he had a heart after God. And he got it right and he continued to chase God. I love it when he danced down the street with gay abandon, just enjoying the presence of God. He was a warrior. He heard God and he had many victories because he listened to God. God, I want to be a person after your own heart. Would my heart be fully after you? Is that our prayer? Give me, Lord, a heart that is fully after you. See, often we have to proclaim, we have to speak out what is on our heart to God to make that shift to make that change of our spiritual state, often we have to speak something out. And I looked at Psalm 102, uh, verse 2 and 7, if you could put up 2 to 4, it's like David wrote the psalm, and he sang it, he proclaimed it, he praised God through the song. Can you just read this? I'll read it, but can you please read it to yourself as well? I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I'm going to stop there. You see, when we say those words, it's a, it's a statement of intent. It's a statement, I'm getting serious with you, God. As we say these words in your heart, just receive them. Verse 2, David writes and he sings, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will conduct affairs of my house with a blameless heart. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part in it. The reverse of heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with what is evil. I'll just leave it there. See, there's a statement that, God, I'm so in love with you, I'm so wanting to be right with you, that I will make a statement that I will not have anything to do with evil. I will not pursue things which are ungodly. And as we make that declaration, as we make that statement that, yes, God, I'm yours, 
these things on our hearts come to pass. And God sees that. And you see that God then will start to push into your life in a way that things change. Because you're seeking, searching, living for God. God honours those that honour him. See, the, what the point where I'm going with this is that God had a timeline. You think that in Matthew 1, there was a timeline from Abraham. 14 generations, there was David. 14 generations, the people went into exile. Then 14 generations again, Jesus came, the Messiah. And that's over a period roughly of 3,000 years. When Abraham was 2000 BC, 2200, in that time, Jesus had already started the plan knowing that he was going to come to earth to come to that personal relationship with us. You see, the priests were fine. They loved God, but the people still rebelled and the people still got their lives wrong and didn't seek after God. The kings, there were good kings. And as we heard last week, there are kings who still followed their own ends and, and the evil ways. The godly kings were honoured. But it still took another thousand years from David to the exile where the people of Israel were pushed out of Israel because the Philistines and the Babylonians and the, came in and, and took over Israel. But yet God promised that the temple will always be there. Jesus came 3 or 4 AD, Ado Domino, after, after death Christ grew up. In about 30 AD, he was crucified. The moment that Jesus was crucified, it became personal. We became someone who had an entrance into the heart of God direct, not through somebody else. It wasn't someone else doing the work. We had a personal connection with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. Salvation was freely available for all in each and every one of us. Romans 10.9, for those that confess and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. It's not about what Jesus did. It's about believing who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. It's He is the I Am. And as people of God, as men and women of God, as stepping into knowing who we are in God, that we are royal priests and priestesses. We are kings of the Most High God. I'd like to just share a testimony. See, it's about change. My father died seven years ago at the age of 89. He was a loving, uh, kind family man. He was a businessman. He was a civil engineer and he worked hard. And the kids were at home with mum. And he worked, he was fixing people's roads. People used to knock on the door. I remember him going out, solving, sorting out fires, all that sort of stuff. Every year, my dad, a loving man, but unsaved, would take us camping. We'd go up to Cooper's Beach, and I don't know if you've been up north. I just remember that at like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. For many years, just going on the beach, and the beautiful was just a paddock there. There was a camping ground with like an outhouse and a tent. My dad would sleep for two weeks. I wouldn't see him. He was just catching up because he'd been working so hard. So here was me. I had a sister who just read. And then I was on my own. My mum would look after my dad. She was a loving, stood by him all the time. 
I would just wander. I'd just go off and I got to that place of being independent, of being somebody who needed nobody else to help me. I became closed. I was afraid to speak to older people. I was afraid to speak out what I was feeling. I just survived and I just lived on my own. I went to school and I suddenly realized I had a gift. And you might have still see it. It was speed of foot. I realized by the time I was in like primary school in the last couple of years, no one could catch me on the rugby field. They'd give me the ball and I'd just score a try. In fact, my dad took a photo of me when I was like five years old. And all it is is just this guy running back and forth about ten times scoring tries. So I realized I had something that was me and I put my whole life into just achieving accolades in sport. And I pursued from age 11, 12, did all the rep teams, roller mills, I played cricket, I played squash, I did cross-country running. Any sport there was, I just seemed to be good at it. And it made me feel good. And I just forgot everything else. So when I left school and I had got UE and that sort of stuff, what am I going to do? I thought, there's only one thing. I'll be a physical education teacher. So I went to Otago and I played more sport. I went tramping. I jumped off cliffs. I went skiing. I mean, I was just into sport and my life was just going great. But it was all about me and my fun and my enjoyment. I couldn't relate to people. I didn't have girlfriends because I didn't know how to talk to a girl. It was probably a good thing, but it's like, (laughs) you know, praise God, really, because, I mean, I was just doing what I was going to do, but I wasn't into woman. I just wasn't able to get them. It was fine. It didn't worry me because I was going to get fit. I was going to bed on a Friday night and next morning I'd be in Carisbrook Park playing against the American international team. When they first came over, I played against them. That was my life, getting right in the sports field, getting accolades. Somehow I met a woman there and it was three of our flatmates sort of going next door and look, being, uh, asking for food. And Francie was there. She was doing physiotherapy, and, and we just started to hang out together just in groups. Then I came up to Auckland to go to uh, training college, and we said, we'll just get married. I don't know how it happened, but God had something on me, and you can laugh because it, that's where I was at. God just sort of, he was on my case, and I was all good and, and clean and not doing, breaking any laws or not even any moral laws. I was just living a good life for God. And sport was it. I played for Teachers Rugby Club. I went and played for Wider Matter with John Hart. I mean, I can tell you all that stuff. I played with Brian Williams. I mean, I know all that stuff. And that's what my life was all about. But then I moved to Parirua. Left, I was at Calston Boys High School, a real gung-ho PE teacher, uh, doing, having a great time, out beating all the kids at sport and running. But I got to Parirua and something changed in the atmosphere. There was a shift my wife had an inkling of God. She got saved in an AOG church in Parirua. Four years later, Carl was about three, Sasha, the oldest daughter, was five. I used to say, and Peter told the story, I'd push them out on a Sunday morning and it was just my time. I'd watch the cricket. I remember Glenn Turner getting double centuries and stuff. I can still remember just sitting down. I'd go into the man cave and build. That was, I was just isolated. I couldn't work. Somehow I got a job as a PE teacher. I don't actually know. That's a God thing. I just like sport and people saw something in me. So I'm saying when my wife got saved, it took four years before God got me. But all that time, 
there was something in me that's saying, there's got to be a better way. I wasn't being a good father. I wasn't being a good husband. I wasn't being a good friend. It was all about me being the best. I'd stay in the squash club at Mana till about two o'clock in the morning just talking to the guys because I felt safe. Meanwhile, my family's... There it is. So, the girl said, come to church, Daddy. I went and saw Francis get water baptised. That was the moment, I can remember it now, when something shifted in my spirit. It wasn't about me, it was about this lovely woman who was faithful and true, giving her life to Jesus. She came out of the water, and the glory of God was on her. And it touched me. Four weeks later, it took me four Sundays, there was an altar call in a, it was a Samoan AOG church in Pyru. I remember it clearly. There was an altar call. I ran to the front. I want Jesus. And I remember the guy that led me to the Lord. And I didn't look back. It changed my life. There was a, that point where it changed my life. You see, my father was a neat guy, but he had not been able to teach me because he didn't know. He had never been told about Christ, about Jesus. Lovely guy, but that's not enough to get you to heaven. My father didn't know how to share the love, and I didn't get that. But once I got saved and I started to read the scriptures and, and get the love of people, I remember going to people's houses and having potluck dinners, all the food you could eat. It was awesome. I was in my element. Yeah, because I was still playing sport, and I was still teaching, and I was working hard, but I started to realise that for God, there was something on my life that he'd kept me and set me apart for. You see... The amazing thing is, back in 2011, when I started visiting my dad, when he was uh, failing, he, he, had, uh, he had lung cancer. I remember just going beside him, and he saw something in me. He said, why have you changed? Because I was like just all over the place. I didn't spend a lot of time with him. But when he started to get ill, I would fly up from Wellington. Probably seven, eight, nine, ten times I'd fly up to Peter's bedside. About the eighth time, we just started talking about God. I said, Dad, have you ever really sensed the presence of God? He said, yep, all the time. But no one told him how to actually meet Jesus Christ and even I had said I'm a Christian now and I'd prayed for him and I'd spoke about him but I haven't specifically asked him had he asked Jesus Christ into his life and as soon as I did that because it was in the spirit and the time was right because he was failing and he was starting to realize about his own mortality that he was going to die he said to me Son, Don, I've known there's been a God there the whole time. I thought I knew him, but I've never invited him into my heart. So he said this in his prayer. He was 88 years old. And I'm still working with my mum, who has an understanding. And uh, Peter's smiling because I've enlisted him on the case. And we're praying. My mum, 1095, last Tuesday night, amazing woman has an understanding of God, but has a few confused eyes. But my dad knew Jesus Christ, accepted him, and for another nine months before he died and he was lying in his, in his bed, there was a peace on him. 
And we had great times. We talked. Mum would leave the room and I'd just sit with my father. And we went over all the things of our life and the things that I remembered. It was all good. I didn't have anything wrong, but I just got to know my father. And that's because there was a change in him when he just knew there was something more than him. He died peacefully. It was only mum and my sister and I were there. In a way, that was sad because he was on his own, because he'd never had that relationship closer than just a working relationship with his family. But I know I'm going to meet my dad in heaven. That's reassuring. That's what it's all about. And when I gave my life to the Lord, I started actually being helpful in the home. I started going to church, and I just had the desire to be involved with stuff and to learn how to be a good father, learn how to be a a husband that was actually in the house and not on the sports field. Something changed in me because I knew it's all about Jesus. And that's, that's the change we get. I'm going to do this anyway. You see, talking about change. When I was in the, when I was in the world, I was a sportsman. I was like a buckethead, okay? And my apologies to the Manawatu rugby team, if you know them. They started the buckethead brigade. It's green, and Lionel knows that because it's from his territory, so Palmerston North. But, I mean, all, all apologies, but I think it's actually silly. I mean, would you guys all come to church with a bucket on your head? Probably not. But anyway, I was walking around in the world with a bucket on me. I really was. Hello, are you anybody out there? Jesus, I don't know you're there. I'm just happy to be here in this little little hiding place here. I'm safe and I can just do what I want to do. See, I was blinded to spiritual things. I was blinded that there was a God. Something in me knew, but I didn't actually know how to find him. So, to cut a long story short, you know, we've been doing the arm of God, and this is coming useful again. Okay. I was saved. My wife. Now, my wife and I, back then, I was just like non-existent. I was okay, but I just didn't help. I didn't add to the house. I just did my thing. I still loved and I still provided but I wasn't there to put kids to bed. I'd always find something to do. I'd be training, preparing. But when I got saved, and my wife, I know, I owe my salvation to my wife. She hadn't have prayed and uh, brought me to that place. See, this is just, I'm sorry if I'm sort of emotional, but this, the power of God on my life is so strong, and it's like I'm just so grateful, so thankful. I'm just, it's like, it's a joy, okay? It's like, wow. God, you chose me. Helmet of salvation. I was taught. I received Jesus Christ. I was water baptized about a year later and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Boom. Because the moment I was saved, my life changed. I knew my whole thinking, my whole heart had been replaced with something greater than me and I started to learn what the love of God, what Jesus Christ was all about. And all I wanted to do was live for Jesus. God had placed a heart in me for him. I just didn't know it. 
when Jesus came in, I didn't turn back. I didn't look sideways ever since. That was 1984, Father's Day, 34 years ago. I remember that clearly, and I remember every year I've been a Christian. The previous 32 are a blur. Sports fields and, and heartache with my family, the things I remember. God changed. He took me from being lost, blinded, without hope, without God, renewed my mind, and I suddenly knew I had somewhere to live for. And so, you know, I am a child of God. I am a king in God's holy temple. I am a child of God, but I'm, I'm a royal priest, but I'm a king. And I just love that, that we're all kings in the house of God. And when you're a king, is that a good thing? There's jewels, there's light, there's bright, it's light, it's like full of joy. I want to live for Jesus. I want to tell people about Jesus. That's what my whole life is for. My life turned around. I started being a good father and a good husband, and I started teaching in the church. We did children's church from day one. We went bang. We went straight into ministry. I've been a children's church leader uh, for 40, no, do the maths, 34 years. That's all we sort of do. But on top of that, God added stuff. He added stuff. A heart for men, a heart for prayer, a heart to, to speak into people's lives. That's the passion I have, to speak the word of God, to speak the love of God into other people's lives that they may too inherit and make, get a hold of what God has done for me. It's powerful. There's no other thing that can bring that change. Father, I pray that right here, right now, you would visit, you would search, you would engage each one of us in our hearts with the love of Jesus. I pray an infilling. I pray, Father God, that you impart in each one of us something which shifts our spiritual complacency, that, Lord, we've been a place of expectancy, that we are kings. We are in a place to grow. 1 Peter 2.1.2 Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. See, Peter's exhorting the church. He's exhorting us that we've come out of darkness. We've come out of being lost. We've come into a place where we are like a most high king. And see, the first thing that started, I got to that place and it goes on. I'd like to just go, if you go to the next slide, it talks about... There's five points as a new Christian, as a Christian, that keeps your growth, that keeps building the church. See, it's not about us as individuals. It's about adding to the lives of others. It's about coming together, being the head of the home for men and our family, wives supporting, loving, respecting your husband, bringing the children up in the ways of God and carrying that on into the local church. And guess what? Have we got a good church for you? 
right here, Expression Church. Good people. We get to know a knowledge of God. We get that prayer is powerful. Talking to God, then stopping and listening. What are you saying to me, God? Knowing that the gospel is to be shared. We carry the footsteps of peace to share the gospel. We hear the gospel and we can't contain it. We've got to take it out with us. Faithful obedience, being obedient to God's word, obedient to God's voice. Hearing God's preached word, that enhances, it edifies, it magnifies the presence of God in us. 1 Peter 2, 9, 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. People, as a church, as a gathering, as a congregation, we now have that responsibility to sing praises to God, to tell the community that what God has done in our lives and collectively we come together for strength and to make a difference, that we can encourage each other, that we are royal priesthood. We are those that we build a community of believers who are thanking God for what you've done in our lives and we do not want to keep that inside these walls. We want to take that out with us. Royal priesthood, rise. It's about impacting nations. It's about impacting the centre. We are a holy nation. God has set apart the church for his use. We are people of the church. We have ownership. And we are to declare the praises of God and make him known to the world. The function of us as individuals is to mirror the heart of God, is to show that we live for Jesus, that we are people truly after God's own heart. Together we make up the priesthood. Together we are kings in his holy temple. Just as I finish, I just want to just mention what it is to be a man, to be a priest in the home. I didn't know but once I did learn how to be a priest, how to be the spiritual leader in my home, man, did my life change. Man, did things happen in my home. Man, did I become the, the, one of the best head of PE departments in Wellington. Man, did I become a guy that was known who would share the gospel wherever he was. I'd walk down the street and I'd stop and talk to people. Something changed. I just couldn't contain it. God saw that in me. And I'm saying I knew how to be a priest in the home. I knew how to be a priest in the house. I would go to our children. Carl will tell you, went to every church service until she left home. 20 years when she got married to this wonderful son-in-law. She knows what it is to be brought up in the church, in the house of God. And look what God's done now. Look what God's brought me into. I'm just overwhelmed that here I am telling you about God at 66. And there's so much more. I'm blessed with that energy and I just want to share the gospel and run for Jesus. There's so much more. And so people, I'm encouraging you, shift your spiritual place. Shift something that might be settled. If you're stuck, if you're just feeling overwhelmed by your family situation, if you're feeling, I've got nothing more to give, 
let me tell you, you are a king of the Most High God. And if he is for you, who can be against you? And there's a peace of God. My father died in peace. And I, and I had a peace knowing that he was going to heaven. There's that peace that comes of knowing that when you're a king of the Most High God, God is with you. And it changes your heart and you step into the goodness of God to be that king, to be that priest in the home where you love your wife, where you respect your wife, where you honour your children, where you tell your children not with violence, and I've seen that as a teacher, but with love and, yeah, careful administration. I do believe in corporal punishment in the right way, but with love. That is the father's heart. And when the father, the man, takes that role, the woman will come under the anointing, will come under your wings, feel reassured, feel comforted, feel cared for, feel love. And I tell you what, guys, it's a good place to be in. I could say something there, but I won't. It's just like the love of a woman, when it's really close and together, is so powerful, empowering, that can only be God. And I know we have moments of, of pressure and, and we neglect. Can I just say a bit of advice? Husbands, wives, if you're feeling under pressure, take time out. Husbands, book a weekend away. It's powerful. And I'm saying that out of experience because I just came back from the three days where everything was put back on track because I just felt to take that time to take my wife away from things after a busy couple of weeks, especially with holiday programs and conferences and weddings, all good stuff. But you just need to recover to know that you are a king in the house. Man, it's not an option. Man up. Be a priest in your home. Are you the priest in your home? Are you the priest in the house of God? But it starts in the home. I'd like us just to make some declarations. If we could put up, I've got four scriptures that I'm finishing now. But this is for you guys. Could you stand up, please? Because we'll go into some worship. We are kings of the Most High God. Daniel 2.47, just read this. When we're going to read these two, we're going to speak out the next two. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. We know the story of Daniel and how that, the worldly king was turned around. 1 Timothy 6.15, Paul, which God will bring about in his own time, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, we might be kings, but Jesus is our king. He is king of kings. We have a king to rejoice, a king to praise, a king to celebrate, a king that will change our lives. Can we declare, next slide. I want you to say this, please, with me, quietly. I'll come and sit here in the front row, standing. Just to say this. And when it gets to, I've highlighted it, it's my emphasis, not in the Bible. I just want you to say it, but I want you just to really say with conviction, on his robe.
and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Can you say amen? amen. You are the kings of the earth. Can you bring the splendor and the glory of God into the earth? Jesus, you are my Alpha. You are the beginning. You are my creator, my deliverer, my everlasting Father God, my greatest hope. You are the I Am. Jesus, my King. Father, we worship you. We worship you. I thank you, Father God, that you changed our lives. You've come to earth. That, Lord, you had shifted us. That, Lord, you died on the cross to overcome death and sin. You have revealed the plans of the enemy, of Satan. Satan is overcome, defeated on the cross. We are victors. We wear the victor's crown. We know that God with you, we have all power, all authority. Come, shift us, take us to where you have us be this morning. We sing. We